0: So for today's scripture reading, we will be reading from Haggai 2, 14 through 19. In the Pew Bibles, this is on page 792. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine that to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, From the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. We continue uh, Haggai, my prophet. Uh, We'll finish up this series next week, and then we're going to start looking into 1 John, so if you want to read ahead in 1 John, we'll be there for a while, um, but uh, you can read ahead there. Verses 15 through 19 are the uh, prophecy, and uh, I want us to take a look at the very last sentence there and how it ends, but from this day on, I will bless you. And so, looking at this, what day is... Haggai talking about, and it's the same day that's mentioned in verse 10, so let's take a look at verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. So what was the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius? We're given the Hebrew calendar date here in Haggai chapter 2, but when we're looking at the corresponding date according to our calendar, the date is December 18th. 520 B.C. So thinking back to that, December 18th, 520 B.C., that is a very, very big day for these people. It was this line that was being drawn in the sand and saying from this point on, there's going to be a future blessing for you from from now on. And so things for these people have not been all that good so far. If you're thinking about just kind of context. Uh, contextually what was the setting here, these were exiles. These were exiles from the Babylonian captivity. They've been not in a good place for a really long time. But on December 18th, 520 BC, the things are going to change. But from this day on, I will bless you. So the Lord tells them this really, really good news, and with this good news, are some key verses that needed to be kept in mind, and they are found in verses 13 and 18 with this key phrase, Consider from this day onward. These are very, very important verses to keep in mind. Back in chapter 1, a couple of weeks ago, Haggai told the people of Judah, Consider your ways. Consider your ways in verses 5 and 7. And back in chapter 1, that was a rebuke that Haggai was giving to the people of Judah that they did not prioritize God, that they did not prioritize the worship of God. And so it went from rebuke in chapter 1 to encouragement in chapter 2, which we looked at last week from, from the start of chapter 2. And the people responded to this rebuke. And Haggai cheered them on for, for their obedience. And it's a, it's a couple of months later here in, in verse 10 where we're reading, where we're picking up. And Haggai goes back to consider, considering in verses 15 and 18 in chapter 2. He wants his people to think. He wants them to understand. He wants them to ponder what? What does he want them to know? What does he want them to understand? You have to think about how it was up until this day. So how was it before December 18th, 520 B.C.? Because if they didn't fully understand how it was prior to December 18th, 520 BC, how are they going to be aware of those future blessings that they're going to receive? So, practically speaking, for us, do we remember in our lives a time before Jesus saved us? Do you have a December 18th, 520 BC moment? Do you have a, a date where things changed for you? Now, if Some of us do. I realize for others of us that this is more gradual. But do you remember a time when you were captive, when you were in bondage to sin, and to realize now you no longer have to be, that you can be free? Now, perhaps some of you are still in captivity to sin. I I know that this is true. But today can be your December 18th, 520 B.C. You, You don't have to be stuck in that anymore. Well, how? You might be asking, how can I do this? Well, you first have to consider your worship. Let's consider how our worship has been contaminated. And so the Lord encourages the people to ask the priest some questions here. Look at at verses 11 and 12. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. So if the priest has this Holy meat. Holy means not common. Not common meat. It is set aside for a purpose. And so for this priest, the purpose is sacrifice. This is set aside for the Lord to to meet the Lord's purpose. If this holy meat touches any other food, does that food that it touches, does it become holy? No. The priest will answer no. The other food is still common food. It is still to be consumed however it was set aside or however it was made. It's still to be common food. Okay, so give us a second scenario. And so this is verse 13. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, It it does become unclean. So if something is unclean, like a dead body, is considered unclean, touches what is clean, so say someone is deemed clean, but then that person's garment or that person touches that dead body, the priest's answer is yes. The dead body contaminates anything it touches. Then it becomes unclean. So that once clean person is now considered unclean because they've been in contact with this dead body, and anything the unclean person now touches also becomes unclean. And so the food that they touch will become unclean, even that holy meat. So you notice that what is holy, when it touches other things, does not make it holy. But unclean things, when they touch anything, holy or not, becomes unclean. And this is the point. This is the point. Holiness is not contagious. Purity is not contagious. Uncleanness, on the other hand, very contagious. Very communicable. Anyone here, have you ever had to deal with a kid with lice? Oh my God! Lice! If you do not believe in hell, I, for a fact, know there is a hell. I lived it. I have four daughters. They all have long hair. And so my wife was like, hey, they, I checked. They all have lice. I was like, shave it. <laughs> shave it. That's, that's what... You know, when I've dealt with kids in South America or in Africa or Asia, when we've done the, hey, they have lice, shave it, shave it. There's no lice treatment here. Like, shave it. I don't know why they fought me on this. I mean, I was telling them, it grows back. It grows back. What's the big deal? But all four, including my wife, came back to me like, no, we can't do that we got to do the thing, show you the, the treatments. And so I had to go to the store, and I bought these, these things, and I was starting to carry these kits, right? I'm putting the kits in the car, and everyone around me is like... <laughs> it's not me. It's my kids. I'm, I'm lice-free. I, I don't need four kits. So they all come back from school with lice. The, the, the school sends an email to my wife and I, and, oh, we found a, we found a child with lice in the school. So please check your, your children for lice. And we did, and they all had it. And for hours, all night long, I had to deal with this thing and also worry about my own head. And so I'm like dealing with this stuff. I have pictures, they all have the little caps and all that kind of stuff. And guess what? If you put a kid with no lice into a room full of lice-headed kids, that kid's going to get lice. Most likely. Most likely that kid's going to get... And if you put a room full of kids in a room with no lice on their head whatsoever, they're all lice-free, but you put one kid in there with lice, that's hell. And it wasn't just one grade. It was a whole school. See, this is the same thing in nature. I mean, look at, a, look at fruit. Right? Fruit's the same way. If there's a bowl full of rotten fruit and you put a healthy piece of fruit in the middle of it, it's not like the whole bowl of fruit. Oh, look, it's good. It, it doesn't happen. It, it, it rots that healthy fruit, and, and that one healthy fruit doesn't change the bowl into a healthy bowl of fruit. And if you have a bowl full of healthy fruit and you put one spoiled fruit in there, what does it do? That bowl of fruit's gone like in, in a matter of days. Like it, it spreads, it goes everywhere. The rot spreads, it's contagious. See, holiness is not contagious. Purity is not communicable. And I so wish that it was, and my heart breaks over this because it happens way too often where I hear and I see uncleanness, even in the church. Where things are just kind of accepted and thinking that, yeah, that's just how it is. And that's the culture. And we just accept things the the way they are. And I need to remind us, as a church, rot spreads. It's contagious. And this is what is breaking Haggai's heart. Verse 14 here. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people. And with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so, with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. So, everything those exiles did was unclean, including their worship. The uncleanness affected everything, even their worship, just because they had contact with holy things. Like they were rebuilding a temple they were rebuilding a holy place, doesn't mean that they've become holy. Just because you and I are in contact with holy people and doing holy things in a holy place doesn't mean we're holy. Just because you're in church does not make you a Christian. Holiness is not contagious, but uncleanness, it affects everything including our worship. Haggai pointed out to them that our worship is unclean. How so? Now you look back to chapter 1. Haggai points out, you know what, your, your houses are all paneled, meaning they're complete, they're done. But your temple's unfinished. And so their priorities are 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 out of priority and they, they were more concerned with their own physical lives than they were with their spiritual life. And so for us today, what, what are our priorities? Are we totally consumed with our physical well-being and kind of pushing aside our spiritual well-being? When the worship of God is, is not the priority, then everything else is off. It affects everything in an unclean way. And so even though the worship we do offer, how do we know if this is happening to us? How do we know if we've been affected by the uncleanness and the lack of holiness? Well, Haggai knew because his people weren't delighting in the Lord. That was just not their top priority. Their adoration of God was not their greatest joy. And he could see that the rebuilding of the temple for worship was just not their priority. I think you and I know what we prioritize in life. We we can see that. I think we, we know what delights us most. What gives us the most joy. Another test to do for ourselves to, to test our priority is, is just to find out and, or ask ourselves to observe ourselves in what we do when we're alone what do you, you do when you're alone and so all you have to really do is take a look at your private life and to see where you're investing your time and your money is that time ever used to worship God to adore God, to find delight in God? Is it a time that we use to listen and communicate with God in prayer? Is it a time where we, we do feel those hunger pains that remind you to eat? Do we feel that same thing for, I, I, I need the word, I, I'm i hungry for it. I haven't had it in a while. I, I need that, I, I need to read that. I, I Do I have an appetite for the scriptures to, so that I can know what God is saying to me today and how much adoration for God do we have outside of Sunday let's look at verses 15 through 17 now then consider from this day onward before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord how did you fare When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Haggai asked them how they thought things were up to this point. So back in chapter 1, they, they repented, and they showed that worship did matter to them. But Haggai still wanted them to think about how things were up to this point. Like, think again. Here was the rebuke. Okay, I'm going to encourage you guys now in chapter 2. Now, like before we get to, like, yay, let's, let's think about this again. Otherwise, we're just going to end up in the same spot. And he reminds them about how it was. You guys put all this grain to be weighed, and you thought it was one weight, but it was half. You thought you had all this wine and you put it to be weighed and, you, and it was half. And who did that to you? God. You mean God does that? I produced this thing and, and God took that away from me? See, it was God who put up those challenges before them so that they could ponder think, consider what God was doing, that God was chastening them. Maybe they didn't get the point, even though Deuteronomy 28 is right there. Maybe because they weren't hungering for the word of God to figure out, that's happened to us before. In Deuteronomy 28, where God has blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Even knowing that God is still gracious, God is full of grace, and in His grace, He chastens those He loves. That the chastening is a way God draws us to Himself to awaken us to the restoration we need with God. But here's a kind of a tricky part because not every hardship, or challenge, or difficulty, or adversity that we face is a chastening from God. Not every one. So let's not get confused with our challenging circumstances that we face in life with God's chastening because sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. We we all just go through adversities. Sometimes they're just mysterious. Just like in the book of Ecclesiastes like I don't know. Or you look at someone like Job. Job faces a lot of suffering. But it's not because of the Lord's chastening. And just like it is for some who face persecution in our world today. The stance for Jesus is not God chastening them. Sometimes it is chastening though. And we need to wake up from our indifference. From our coldness towards God. But how do we know? How do we know? How do we know it's a chastening to awaken us? How do we discern between chastening and and it's not? I think what we need to do is we need to face our circumstances with a lot of openness to ask God, God, is this chastening? And not to jump to conclusions, because it might not be, but just to simply have an attitude of openness and teachability and asking God to show us, to, to teach us. I think one of the faults that we have in, in kind of our mindset is that we always want to know why. Right? That's like the most impre- important question. My kids ask me this all the time. When I ask them to do something, right? Go clean your room. Why? It's dirty? Why? You did it that way. Why? Because you're a sinner. Like, uh, what? (laughs) Like, you know, Like you're always asking why. And we're consumed with asking why. Sometimes we get that why from God. We get that why question answered from God. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we find out it was a chastening or it wasn't. And sometimes we just never find out. But the why, that's not the most important question to ask. That's not. I think a healthy approach to God isn't with a posture of finding out why. I think a healthy approach would be one of humility, openness, and teachability to be soft-hearted in our approach to the Lord. Not hard-hearted, but, but soft, where our hearts can be shaped by God, where, where our hearts aren't resistant, because that's kind of what why is, right? Why? But to soften, and, and no matter whether it is a chastening or it isn't, that our prayers and our desire is to be centered around asking for Holiness, godliness, for whatever we're going through, for that to be produced from us, through what we're going through. To be freed from knowing why we're going through what we're going through. And to seek that holiness, even though we don't get the insight as to why. To care more about pleasing God. To care more about holiness, than knowing why. To be more like the prophet Jeremiah, who knew that suffering was coming, that judgment was coming to the people of Judah. He knew the people were going to be judged, and he prayed in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 24, this prayer, Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to Nothing. Do you, do you sense that humility there? That teachability? Because all of us go through adversity. All of us go through difficulties and suffering, but we don't always know why. We don't always know if it's chastening or not. And sometimes we suffer, and we don't know how to interpret that suffering. So let us pray with the humble heart of Jeremiah. Correct me correct me. Correct me when I need to be corrected. If it's not, if it's one of those mysterious things, if it's whatever, no matter what it is, I still desire to be holy. I still desire to be godly. And it is a sign of God's love to correct us. Take a look at Revelation chapter 3 verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So, we ask ourselves, how how has our worship been unclean? We are to consider where we are unclean. We are to consider if we are experiencing the Lord's chastening, and then we are to proactively change. We are to take initiative and work hard, be zealous about repentance, we do know that God is full of grace and wherever God is that's where hope lies let's look at verses 18 and 19 here consider from this day onward from the 24th day of the ninth month since the the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid consider is the seed yet in the barn indeed the vine the fig tree the pomegranate And the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. And so the people up to this point, December 18th, 520 B.C., they've experienced so much turmoil, so much adversity. They've been in Babylonian captivity for generations, People have been growing up there. They've been born there. They don't even know what freedom is like. But from this day on, December 18th, 520 B.C., God will bless them. And They're thinking, like, what are you talking about? Because look at our harvests. Our harvests haven't been fruitful. Times have been really, really hard for us. Look at us. We're so poor. We have nothing to eat. We're still kind of under Persian rule now, even though the Babylonians kind of held us captive for so long. But it's not like we're free. We're under Persian rule now. And yet God says, I'm going to turn things around for you. I love you. I have grace. Now, verse 19, from this day on, I will bless you. That's not something that we can take as a blessing to us this was for those people. It's not like, oh yeah, today, from this day on, I'm going to be blessed. You're going to be very disappointed. Like, don't, don't do that. It's, it's very obvious we all face adversity. And this was a blessing for those in Haggai's day. So, how does this practically apply to us since this was a promise for those in Judah? Well, God is still a very gracious God. He's the same. And we can observe the circumstances in which they received blessing and still turn to God, uh, the God of grace, in our own difficult circumstances. So when was this hope given to the people of Judah? When did they receive this news? Look back at verse 19, and there's a rhetorical question there. Is the seed yet in the barn? No. It's not. See, what they did with the seed was they planted it in hopes that there would be a harvest in the future, but it's not yielding anything. And whatever was eaten, they're eating that seed because that's what's kind of sustaining them. That's how, that's how they're living through this almost famine. And you look at verse 19 again. Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. It's yielded nothing. Their crops have been a disaster. They're on the brink of famine It's at that time of desperation that God says this. But from this day on, I will bless you. Mark it on your own calendar. December 18th, 520 B.C. Things are going to change for you guys. This is when God often shows up, isn't it? When you are at your deepest, darkest place. When you are the most desperate when people are at the brink of everything falling apart, when they can't fall any further, that's so often when God meets us, shows up. It's at that most hopeless moment that we experience the grace of God. This is something that I think some of us need to be careful of. You guys have all heard about helicopter parents. Yes? Yes? I think it's changing, though. The generations changing. But I think my generation was the helicopter parent generation. Right? They don't want their kid to fall. They don't want them to touch anything. They don't want them to do their homework because they want them to get straight A's. They want them to get the trophy at the soccer team, even though they didn't even do anything. Like they, they, it's just hovering. right? Everything's protecting, and everything's kind of like that. Um, my daughter, my six-year-old, Um, She fell pretty hard the other day, and um, I'm thinking about this in my head as I was preparing this. I was like, yeah, I'm going to leave it, leave her. And she got up, and she was fine. And then we're outside, and it's kind of chilly, and we just kind of took the day off yesterday to go to the beach, and I told her to bring a jacket. She didn't bring a jacket, so I was like, okay. Usually what uh, I do as a helicopter dad is I bring the jacket for her knowing she's going to need it later, and then I give it to her. I'm not going to bring the jacket. So she goes out, and we're out for a little bit, and she was like, Dad, I'm cold. i was like, yeah, I told you to bring a jacket. She's like, yeah, but I'm cold now. In times past, I would have taken my own off to give it to her, and, but then, you know, I prepared for this message, and I was like, I can't be a helicopter parent. I can't, I can't be a helicopter parent today. And so I was like, you're not going to forget your jacket again, are you? She's like, no. I was like, good lesson, let's go. It's still a long ways to the to the car, and she's like shivering, cold, and whatever. I was like, okay, lesson learned yet? Uh, maybe not. Let's keep walking. And the lips are a little bit blue now. Like she's walking like, like. All right, here. Sometimes we do this as helicopter Christians, though. We don't let people fall far enough to experience the grace of God because we rescue them too soon. Like, we we, we don't let them feel that pain enough, or we don't let them, you know? And I have to confess to you that I I was kind of scared to even say this sort of thing, because I was thinking of myself, like, what if I was hurting, and then somebody just thought this of me, like, ah, he hasn't hurt enough, just let him. But I, I have to, uncleanness is contagious, right? Holiness is not. Sometimes we don't let people fall far enough to see the grace of God in their own life that we, we kind of get in their way. We get in the way of that work that we, we just kind of provide that too soon. Sometimes not. I mean, You guys are really, really great people and you guys go in and help people out all the time and like it's a beautiful thing to see um, and I love it. But I think that's some some discernment that we need to think about is are we getting in the way of God's grace entering in that person's life for them to experience something really divine? See, our hope is wrapped up in this prophecy from Haggai. Our hope isn't just for physical things like a, a good harvest right, our, or something physical. Our hope isn't just for the present, but it's for everlasting. And I'm not simply talking about heaven, that it's actually something more. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. And they shall reign on the earth. Yeah, you and I get heaven. We get to experience life with the Lord for everlasting, which is awesome. But God offers something even more. We get resurrected bodies and a new earth. Thank God for that resurrected body. I'm just getting more aches every day. right? And we're, we're not this disembodied spirit from body. We, we, we're all living in very unsettling times right now, aren't we? Just like one more news story, and you're like, are you kidding me? Wouldn't it be just wonderful to experience a world where there's peace? You don't have to worry about something showing up on your newsfeed. You just know, like, who's in charge, and there's peace. Jesus' kingdom will be this way. You don't have to wake up one morning and think, like, are we going to war? New heaven... New Earth, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, we get to experience that. The blessing of December 18th, 520 BC is just a little foretaste for us to see that this is how God works. Blessing. And we've probably all experienced God's blessings, just a little bit of of a foretaste of blessings to come. Just a reminder of the promise God made to come back for us to offer us a life of everlasting life with Jesus Christ, a kingdom of how things ought to be with no more curse of sin. No more curse. Let's close with reading Revelation chapter 22 verses 3 through 5. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Haggai's prophecy of blessing was a reminder of the grace of God to his people. And to remind us, there will be a time where there is a curse no more. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, you are in complete control, and whenever we are in doubt of this, please remind us of your word in Haggai. Lord, we know that at times we aren't finding our delight in you that we aren't in adoration of you and for this we ask for your forgiveness we ask for a change of heart for us to repent to be zealous about it and not to be indifferent knowing that holiness is not contagious and yet uncleanness is and so oh Lord I, I ask that in our uncleanness here that we would take proactive steps to move towards holiness. Remind us, Lord, to consider. May your Holy Spirit continue to actively and dynamically speak to each of your children in Jesus' name. Amen.